Guys, thank you for starting late, a full hour late for me. We're here for you, Stanislav. Actually, you're here for us. I know, I in know. In that you're back in your home country. And still making it scheduling as difficult as possible. I have to explain, I was playing a very important game of Settlers of Catan. Why was it so important? You didn't really explain in text why it was important. How important could it have been? First, it was the only night that I got to see my buddy Mac, because he's in the mm-hmm. service industry. He work, gets Mondays off. This is my only chance of seeing him while I was in town. Thank you for your service, Mac. Important guy. And the fact of the matter is, Mac, Fiddler, and I always play Catan together. We've perfected the game by adding fish, and we play till 12, and it's dope. And that's the way to do it. Okay. So you made us wait for an extra long game with homebrew rules. It's the perfect Catan experience. The perfect Catan experience is four players, four players, four only original rules out of the box. That's it. That's the only way to play Catan. You're nuts. A world of expansions, David, to explore the island of Catan, and you're unwilling to go beyond the beach-lined communities? Klaus, Toiber, I mean, I think your game's just okay. Hey, first off, rest in peace, Klaus Toiber, because RIP to a king who well, passed away about two months ago. His, his game, defining, amazing. It's a very good game still. Uh, you know, it's, it's got problems, but it is a genre-defining. Genre-defining. Era-defining. Era Those are the reasons why I think it's okay for me to talk about Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to episode 234 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, is the one and only Shane Beeps. Shane, did I misspeak? What? I'm in Chicago, baby. Oh, oh, Chicago. Welcome back to the States, my friend. How have you enjoyed your time on the home turf? It's a lot like the show The Bear, just like fine dining everywhere. Everywhere I go, just like escargot, foie gras. Just going from like Monteverde to Bavette's to uh, Charlie Trotter's. So you're actually traveling in time as well and space. Just drowning in glazes and reductions. Next, Alinea, uh, Smith. Is now a good time to tell you that I've had a couple shots of Dulamore Dew this evening? It's perfect. It's perfect. We're not, we're not (laughs) recording. We're not recording. Uh, this for video for this episode because nobody can edit it this time and so i also may have some things that i usually don't have on camera right now oh let's do this because dave you're gonna be gone for a while right i'm gonna i'm leaving for a while on a jet plane it's a while i'm just not gonna yeah you do know when you're back again though theoretically yeah yeah the rules are when one man leaves europe another has to come back that's right and so we've, yeah, let's not, well, I don't want to, uh, you know, let's not OPSEC me, you know, let's. Um, mm, but, yeah, people are going to find yeah, you. Yeah, people are going to find me in, in the, in the, continent in the of Rhine Europe. River Valley where I will be <laughs> potentially. No, it sounds like it's good to see you. I wish I was in Chicago with the both mm-hmm. of y'all, but I know right now you're not even the same, you're not even the same abode, so it doesn't matter. But we were on Saturday. Stan was nice enough <sighs> to drive all the way down and come to my child's birthday party. Uh, it was great. Oh, yeah. So we did get to see each other for a minute at least. Yeah, and we were supposed to hang out tonight, except for Stan chose Catan over over uh, endless Rakdos versus Rhinos matches from the middle in the middle of the night. I guess I had my backpack packed with my heavy play deck boxes, red, 
blue, green. I was so excited to whip them out just to show you, Dave, how committed I am to the brand. And I guess you had a double reverse draw four. Heavy play ready for me too. I got mine right click. here. Yep, click it. There it is. That is a strong magnet. Okay, let's do the heavy play. So I'm I'm Dave. I'm also in Chicago. I'm the, the godfatherman. Uh, heavy play is a new card gaming accessories brand that'll improve your gameplay and your game day. Their play mats, deck boxes, and card sleeves feature enhanced ergonomics, mobility, and protection for your decks, your favorite decks, your best decks. Their unique equip mag system allows you to magnetically attach dice, bundle decks, and carry your play mat so you can carry all your gear in a single hand while you are gaming. Coming soon to your LGS or shop now at heavyplay.com. Use code thedivedown2023 for 10% off your first order. Let Randy know at Heavy Play that you heard about Heavy Play on the Dive Down or that we were the people that convinced you to finally give them a try. Boxes and mats and stuff are amazing. Check it out, heavyplay.com. Don't leave Europe without them. Yeah. What are we doing this week? On this week's show, we are recapping the results of the Modern Pro Tour in Barcelona. You may have heard. Very You may have heard Scam took that down, won the whole tournament. But did you know that Scam is actually just the street name for Rakdos Evoke? Ooh. Now you know. Yeah, I heard there was about $2 million worth of Scam in Barcelona. You know what I'm saying? Some reserved list scam Mm -hmm. but first let's housekeep shout out to the newest patrons to join the dive down nation we've got tin and alex n thank you both very much welcome to the discord and beyond appreciate it appreciate you appreciate your time both of you we also got a new review from connor (laughs) b connor i have words 40 year olds Connor titled the review, 40-year-olds try to use the word based. I'm 34. Stan, wait, 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 wait. Yes, you are 34. You also made that sound like four-year-olds try to use the word based when in fact it's 40-year-olds. Yeah. You're kind of swallowing the T there uh, along with it, the Dula Mordu or whatever you've been up to. Dave and I have eclipsed 40. Yeah. I'm, so none of us are actually 40. Yeah. I mean, the wildest fact about the dive down, and I know it's hard for people to believe, is that I am basically 10 full years older than Stan. 10 years and one month, I believe, older than Stan. Sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, my god. Viewers can't believe it when they see us next to each other. They're like, Dave, you look so young. Stan, you look so old. Yeah. I I look like hell. (laughs) If you want to be like Tin or Alex N, you can go to our Patreon site and separate yourself from some of your hard-earned dollars to help keep us going. Patreon.com slash the dive down. We also have a store if you just want to buy some swag, some t-shirts, some fanny packs. My uh, my nephew was like, I want a beanie. So I'm ordering him a beanie. Uh, thedivedown.com slash store. Mana Traders, of course, if you want to play on Magic Online, you want to rent some cards, you haven't done this before, you can get 10% off your first two months using the code the dive down 2023 the same as our heavy play code of course our friends at barrister and man will have some info about some of their latest products uh, in the ad break you can use code the dive down 23 the dive down 23 for 15% off your first order there and then of course our long-standing relationship with nerd rage gaming just gets you 8% off your any of your orders on the nrg website by using code dive 8 and that's it. That's all the pre-roll we've got for the show. We we made it. It's a clean ten minutes of uh, of skullduggery for you before we get into it. I f- I feel though like this whole show is just going to be. I mean, we have a lot of notes, but I feel like this this show is a conversation, right? It's a conversation about the modern pro tour. The first one in four years gave a preview last week. Uh, one of us was extremely prescient 
with our predictions. It was me. Yeah. I mean, should we talk about that real quick? No. We don't want to talk about it. If, if you listen to last week and you wonder who won the Dive Down Fantasy League, you shouldn't be surprised to know that it is Shane won going away. He had a zillion more points than Devin and I did. Uh, un- really an unbelievable performance, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got a good late round pick in Rhinos. That was huge. I mean, ra- taking Rakdos, we're not going to go too far here. But also taking Rakdos first was huge. That was enough to seal. You, having Rakdos first was almost enough to win the entire event by itself, for what it's worth. Shane probably had the most successful Pro Tour after Jake Beardley. I th- yep. Beard, Beard, Beardsley. Yeah, like all of us, Beards, Beardsmans. Beardsleys. But look, we, we structured this this episode. Apparently. We structured this episode. We're not going to do a thing where we go through like the day one meta and then we go through like the, t- but we are going to do it, but we're going to lead with the headlines instead. What, what's funny is I did actually do that. Like I sketched out the episode and Dave was like, Shane, this is boring as heck. We got to make this way more interesting. And I agree that this is a more interesting uh, co- concept. It might trickle in. We are, we are number lovers. Oh, there's tons of numbers. We use them as proof. It's just instead of waiting to the end where we read a table like we do sometimes and then give you the insights, we're going to give the insights up off the top. And so we have stuff here broken into three categories. We're going to talk about the meta. We're going to talk about cards. And we're going to talk about placements. That's 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 what it is, right? A beautiful pro tour. We're going to try to structure it and recap it for you right now. What we think about what happened. Uh, we're going to let that lead the way a little bit. So for the first headline for this or take perhaps the prevalence of Rakdos at this tournament was astounding. Yes or no? Yeah, to, like what? Nine, it was 19.3% yes. of the day one meta. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think in, in today's economy, Rakdos being 19% of the meta is, is pretty high. Like I think, you know, Devin plays a ton of modern and he was like, I don't think anything's going to be like over what? 12, 14%. I think you said last week. Yeah. For scale. The, the Pioneer Pro Tour in Philadelphia in the spring, Rakdos mid-range was 15% of the meta, and Mono Green was 13.7% of the meta. And when we recapped that Pro Tour back in the back, you know, six months ago or whatever that was, that felt really high to Devin and I when we were going over that one. This, I think, is a whole other ballpark that we did not really see coming from Modern, given the, the diversity of the format, the number of options there are out there, and just the fact that lots of people do different things based on their preferences. But yeah, 19.3% Rakdos. Maybe we should have known... I think we did know it was going to be the highest deck. Like, I don't think there was any choice there. You picked it first in fantasy. The challenges the week before were absolutely packed with, with Rakdos, right? But this still feels mm-hmm. like a whole other tier. Like, I don't, I don't know if we've often seen 19% decks in modern before. David, I, I want to report to the listeners that you might not hear from Stan for a minute. Apparently, the internet, where he is went down this is what happens when you travel but we'll we will soldier this on. is what happens when you come to a third world country like yes. the north shore of chicago you never know what's going to happen with the wi-fi dave so okay we had you know nearly 20 percent in a modern pro tour but the real question is how well did scam do with all those people bringing it extremely well and that's the actual surprise about this whole was thing it a surprise? Is that, i mean i think it's surprising to have something that's 20 percent of the field still put up a 54 percent win rates yeah and is that are those non-mirrors or is that everything um well i'm using frank karsten's data for that i believe that it is not non-mirror so okay. it is inclusive of mirrors i 
think. Okay. Which is part, which is something that drags you down uh, towards 50% pretty quickly, as you can imagine. So the, the real thing here is that, you know, that win rate was so good that this deck became higher prevalence on day two (laughs) than it was on day one. It went from being 19% of the field on day one to being 23% of the field on day two. Oh man. So this did help my, my fantasy team. It helps your fantasy team a ton. And of course, you know, after everything that was happening on coverage, after all the conversations we had, it turned out that this was the deck that that won. Yeah. Even though only one Rakdos deck made the top eight, five made the top 32. Okay, five out of the top 32. That's actually less than 20%, meaning like... Uh, yeah, in, it is slightly less than so yeah, 20%. So in terms of being right. 19% of the metagame, it wasn't 19% of the top 32. Right. So it is what it is. But I mean, I, it just obviously was on a run. Pros really wanted to play the deck. We've heard people complaining about, you know, nobody, I don't know. People have very strong reactions to playing this deck. I love playing Scam. They, they hate losing to it. I think it's a great deck. I thought it was a great deck for a long time. Um, Jake Beardsley, who piloted it to the finals and, and won, was on a run the entire weekend. Uh, he was a, he's a Roanoke regular, tournament regular, apparently. I'm not familiar with Jake. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like Rakdos's weekend. Rakdos is kind of the A story the whole weekend, yeah. right? And it kind of is what it is. Well, I guess a couple things uh, before we you know keep digging into these points. Did you watch? Were you able to watch much of the coverage at all? I watched all of Friday. Oh, nice! And I could not watch anything after that, unfortunately, because of the way that things turned. I actually had to work on Sunday randomly, but oh, and uh, I had a child's birthday party on Saturday. But yes, so I actually hung out with uh, Devin on his stream most of the modern rounds so on friday i hung out in the morning on saturday i woke up early and hung out in the morning and uh, hung out for most of the most of the rounds on saturday sunday i wasn't able to just it's it was so early like i actually woke up early to catch like the finals but what i will say about the reason i'm bringing all this up is that i haven't actually seen a lot of rakdos in real life for a while, right? Like, and, and even when I played it on, when I play modern online, you know, it's, it's just one deck of many in the leagues. So it's not like I'm seeing a ton of Rakdos, like maybe if I was playing challengers or something like that. And Rakdos looked really good on the weekend. And the reason I think it looked good was the, it, it, it presents a lot of problems for your opponent to deal with, right? Whether those are, you're doing the scam thing, whether it's tripping your hand with the grief and, and getting grief onto the battlefield, whether it's just doing the fury thing and having a four-four double striker on the battlefield turn one, whether it's a you know early ragavan that is snowballing treasures that you don't have the interaction for, whether it's refilling the hand with a fable of the mirror breaker or a CCPZ or something like that, it just does. It's doing a lot of things that are really good, and one of the things that I think had previously been slightly underappreciated. And the thing that I was sort of afraid of when I was like, Dothy Voidwalker seems like one of the best cards out of Modern Horizons 2. And I don't know if we can still even say that, but it was doing work a lot on camera where people right. were getting cards under it and casting them for free. And whether it was something like, you know, an Ulamog or even something like a Primeval Titan or yeah. a uh, force of negation or something like that, right? There's just like a lot of interesting options 
and game-breaking options that Dothy gave people, and it just looked like the total package this whole weekend to me. Whether it was aggression or hand disruption or uh, mana disruption you know, or a long game with a refilling, it, it looked like a very strong deck with a lot of angles of attack that co- opponents couldn't really cover the complete suite of those. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a really airtight deck and i think that it's for some reason it's gotten way more prevalent in the metagame in the last two or three months especially since lord of the rings has come out but it was already pretty popular i mean i you know we talked about this a few weeks ago even i can manage occasionally to get a 5-0 in a friendly league with rectos mid-range you know and uh so that says something about how good the deck is itself I mean, but yeah, like you said, with with voidwalker i mean i don't have a, a huge resume of incredible voidwalker plays but that what happened in the top eight where uh jake took an ulamog from calcano <laughs> yes right and then calcano knew what was happening he just threw it across the table the perfect was throw pretty too. like amazing. it landed yeah, like threw- exactly by like his hands it was so good right yeah i mean that's and that does say a lot about like the high-end wildness that can happen with this deck i do want to talk about a couple of things that were interesting yeah. about jake's list to me, anyway, as someone who is a bit of a Rakdos enthusiast and has been for a minute. A couple things. Fable of the Mirror Breaker is not standard as a four of in this deck. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to see people go for that over a Season Pyromancer, because a lot of people like to be able to feign death or undying malice. They're season pyromancer being oh, yeah, able makes to total draw sense. again and also make more tokens and like stuff like that so it was interesting to see something like that i'd love to know exactly the the reason that that choice was made i don't know what it has to do with the bowmaster i don't really know how the, tri- the triggers stack up in the bowmaster mirror to be able to come out maybe that's just way better than season pyromancer now maybe you're not actually worrying about it. anyway that was one thing that was really interesting it's definitely something i would try going forward i do love fable uh, anyway, so it's I, and I've played with like a mix of Fable and Pyromancers in the past before, like three and three even at different points in time. But um, for Fable main was pretty interesting to see. The other thing I would say is that we're down to six uh, scam effects right now, and this is something I hadn't quite realized was standard in in the list. Like my paper list that was in a deck box because I just looked at tuning it a little bit ago to um or today to be able to play maybe this week while Stan's in town. I uh, had seven effects still, and that included uh, Malachy Rebirth and a little bit still. Those are cards that I've never liked. I haven't really played a ton in paper. When I played online, I've mostly concentrated on Feign Death and Undying Malice, but it's interesting to see things to ha- that have uh, Feign Death uh, and those only down to six effects, which kind of reduces the amount of times that you can scam your opponents. But sure. you know, maybe you need space for other stuff. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? And I, I did look further down the charts, and we have multiple decks in the top 32 that are running like a Singleton, Malakir Rebirth. Uh, I don't really see a lot of what was the what was the one that, with the little face under the floorboards. Which one was that? It's called Undying Evil. Evil. Yes, that's yeah. It. So Undying Malice is the newer one. Undying Evil is the one from Dark Ascension. I'm not going to toot our horns like we're not we're not tuning the meta here or anything like that but like I will say like back when we did a scam the deck dive we all were kind of like all these cards seem kind of bad compared to just the undying evil effect right or undying malice effect. undying malice yeah. and feign death, and feign death which effect. is the same card yeah so just yeah. like let's just run these like I don't really want 
the Malachi Rebirth stuff. I just want to do my thing. And six to seven, like of those, seems like the number of people are running. So yeah, yeah. A couple other interesting things about this list. Um, again, I'm not a master here. One that's cool as far as meta consideration goes is like you see people go back and forth between whether they have fatal push in the main or lightning bolt in the sideboard or the other way around lightning bolt in the main and fatal push in the sideboard. This one ran fatal push in the main, which was pretty interesting. It's interesting that lightning bolt's still hanging around for you to be able to, to, uh, have access to that additional removal spell, but also like a tiny bit of reach, I guess, if you want it here occasionally. It's probably just more single mana uh, creature kill, really. And then finally, the I would direct you to the mana base of this deck for a second, okay. Shane. So here, here's what's in the mana base. First off, it's 20 lands, which is a little bit... L- that's <laughs> it's lean. pretty lean. It's, it's a lot less than I usually feel comfortable running, but, you know... I mean, that's how you win, that's how you win Pro Tours sometimes, you know, just run hot lean into it um so we got 20 lands three swamps okay no mountains of course which makes sense only three black leaf cliffs and four blood crypts one takanuma abandoned mire yeah and then nine fetch lands okay mm-hmm. nine fetch lands that can only fetch seven targets in the deck yeah which is always a fun thing to, to uh, arrive on in modern but here here's the distribution of the fetch lands Two Bloodstained Mire, two Marsh Flats, two Verdant Catacombs, and three Polluted Deltas. Why are there three Polluted Deltas in this deck? <laughs> this Why isn't it four Bloodstained Mires? I, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not, this is not a criticism at all. I just genuinely am like, is this Pithing Needle equity? Like, what, what is I don't know. going on? I mean, yeah, on I with guess, yeah, like if, if they just sort of like named Bloodstained Mire and the Blind, being like, that, that'll be the one they have four of. And you're like, well, I actually have more Polluted Delta. The smallest right. of edges, maybe that's just like I, what they have. Like, I only have three Polluted Delta. I, I, have, I have not had a fourth for a long time. So that would be me. Like, just like, I'm only running three. It's, it's fascinating to me. I, I don't know how this was ended up at. Anyway, uh, so while we're talking about this, congrats to Jake Beardsley. Uh, on the win. It's awesome. Yeah, great work. Dave, can I move us on to the next headline? The next Please, take? we've been talking about Rakdos for a long I time. I mean, it was so, the yeah. winner. I think it was the biggest... I mean, it was the biggest conversation point, I feel like, out of the weekend was like, yeah. oh, it won. What do we ban? Type thing. And we're not on that wavelength. I don't think I'm on that wavelength no. either, but we'll we'll see. I mean, it's only, yeah, it was a 54% we'll deck. 54% yeah. for the winning deck. A-okay to me. So, yeah. the next interesting thing to me... And to you, because you wrote this headline, and I disagree with it, is that five decks... You can decks, just, take, just take credit for my writing. It's fine. That's how this works. It's a collaboration, Shane. You're right. Five decks made up the top 57.3% of the field. That includes Rakdos. And mm-hmm. one of those decks, I think, was a surprise. But I think it ended up being a pretty big surprise. Hey, guys. Stanislav, you're back. I'm so glad you're back, Sam, because I want your takes. I want your input. Hopefully, we don't lose you again. If we do, just just go just go rest. Just go hang out with the family. What did I miss? Rakdos is good again. Yeah, we talked a lot about yeah we talked a lot about Rakdos. So we're moving on to the second headline, which is that the the five decks that made up the top 57.3% of the field. Those decks included Rakdos Evoke slash Scam at 19.3, Four Color Omnith at 11.2. There was 30 players on that. And up next is the surprise to me and me rhinos with 29 players 10.8 percent of the meta then we had green tron with 24 players only 8.9 percent of the meta then yogmoth yogmoth himself 19 copies 7.1 percent of the meta so 
I basically would have probably switched Rhinos and Yawgmoth mm-hmm. if that. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably would have put Rhinos at, like, 7th. Same. That's Just what it felt on, like coming based on into the, play the weekend. Patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Based on the way people have been playing, sort of the prevalence of Rhinos. I think if we, if you really look at the last, maybe, like, week or so of Rhinos, and maybe you're like, okay, some people are bringing this thing back. They're doing the Lorien reveal. They're doing the subtlety thing. And maybe it's on the upswing. But it definitely seems like it never lost a step being the 11% deck here. I think that between Rhinos and Yawgmoth, like replacing one of those for Living End is probably what would have been more expected by us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's more expected, but I also think that that's kind of what led to this happening, is that I believe that maybe people realized that they weren't going to play Living End. And then when people other people realized that nobody was going to play living and they said, Oh wait, that means we can bring out rhinos instead because the living end versus rhinos dynamic is so difficult. I mean, I feel like that was probably one of several factors. Like maybe people realized that the new Lorian revealed rhinos decks were better against, um, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, Tron and better against scam than maybe they used to be because they can pack a full, a full grip of subtlety especially against scam that would be helpful but um yeah i mean i feel like that was part of the whole thing is that that whole circular relationship between rhinos and living end tipped the way that was different than we all thought it was going to yeah i mean rhinos is a smart choice i mean i guess before we focus entirely on rhinos i think we probably should acknowledge the fact that four color omnath was the second most prevalent deck in the room it's you know it's the type of deck i think people want to bring to the pro tour it had some strong showings recently it can play the one ring it can play uh the delighted halfling and can get stuff done yeah but i mean performance in this group of these five so again this is 50 you know almost 60 percent of the meadow is these six decks right and performance in this group is pretty mixed tron was 54 percent win rate Rakdos was 54% win rate. Rhinos was around 55% win rate. And then Omnath was 43%. Yawgmoth was 445 You know, those were two of the biggest disappointments of the weekend, mm-hmm. I would say. And Yogg in particular, it felt like last week, people were really primed to, like, have Yogg be... I think people were really thinking, okay, Yogg, this could be, like, a really big tournament for Yawgmoth. And then, nope. Nope, nope, nope. And you know what? Those two decks share something in common, and that's Delighted Halfling. And I wonder if mm. like that turn one setup with Halfling was weak in a field full of Rakdos and Rhinos and like maybe enough Tron players are playing Dismember or something else to kind of just like slow down these Halfling decks and going bigger than them or, or being able to interact effectively in the case of like the Fury decks. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Also for what it's worth, this feels like a lot of meta for five decks to occupy, 60%. But it's actually consistent with the last Pro Tour, the last the Pioneer Pro Tour from earlier this spring that we talked about. And I wonder if that's something we should keep in mind when we like handicap these events in the future, that is that maybe pros actually, even in formats that have a lot of options, will consolidate a yeah. pretty big amount of the, the meta just like this. Yeah, I mean... Let's, let's talk about our Rhino friends, right, for a minute, okay? Like, so people brought it. We know that it has been changing recently. We know that Rhinos has a strong matchup against some of the probably 
predicted decks to show up, such as Yogmoth, such as a scam. Even though it like when you play against scam, it can feel pretty bad. But when you just you know top deck one of your eight Cascade spells or potentially more if you're like four color or something like that, they have a hard time dealing with two four four rhinos. Yeah, and I mean, so for what it's worth, Anil Yahi and Frank Karsten both gave matchup data. I'm looking at Anil Yahi's work right now. It's a 55% deck against Scam. So maybe that's when people realized Living End was not going to be around. Since it's a 35% matchup against Living End, we're not going to be around as much. And they realized that Rakdos was going to be the biggest deck. Everybody went, we're going for Rhinos. Mm. I mean, I think it's I think it's safe to like go into a Pro Tour as a player and be like, look, Living End's probably going to be mildly popular. But I don't think people like to, you know, tie their horses to various wagons when it comes to like just a sort of a linear combo deck, even though it does have play. Uh, before we jump into Rhinos, and I know you really want to, Shane, I do too. I just want to dig in a little. Oh man, I just I'm already dig there. In a little bit deeper on why we think Limited, their Living End, didn't make this top three. And I wonder if there was like some assumption of people, the whole room is expecting to play against Living End, and the Living End players just felt like it wasn't worth trudging through the hate and maybe rhinos or something else is just like a better way to cascade or play in general yeah like i mean like i was starting to say a little bit i think it's just like i think people think that they have a little bit more interaction they that's one of the reasons that we you know beat the rhinos drum so hard is that we like the fact that it has play you can make a lot of decisions and you can definitely do that in living end but it is sort of like a higher roll deck mm. right and What's interesting is like you look at the most played cards. We'll talk about these later, but like you know, there was things like Chalice of the Void was really high up there, and I'm sure that like you said, people were saying, you know, I don't really want to take a deck like Living End into a consolidated metagame where people will have the prep for it. Well, and not to mention the fact that um, if you look at the matchups. The matchups, like Frank Karsten's matchup grid for Living End versus, like here's Rakdos versus Living End is a 65% win rate. And then beyond that, I'm looking for Tron on his list right now. 65%? Mono Green Chain. That's the the work of Grief and Dothy Voidwalker. just going here. Yeah, and then Mono Green Mono Green Tron. Yeah, but here's the thing. Mono Green Tron's matchup against Living End, 75% on the weekend. There were, it's a very small sample size there. There are only eight matches in that mm. one. Uh Anil Yahi had it slightly differently where they were a little bit less polarized, but that that's the thing. I think that if everybody goes, look, Rakdos is gonna be the keystone of this meta. That's what everybody seems to be coalescing around. Living End suddenly goes, Ugh, and then when people realize, oh, Tron is going to be up there as well, then they went, oh, I'm not going to bring Living End. And then I think, again, I think that's where a lot of where the Rhino's love came from suddenly. Yeah. Stan, where's your Rhino love coming from? Here? My heart. Like, why, do you think, why do you think it had and a good my weekend? Horn. Um, why do I think it had a good weekend? I didn't necessarily, in hindsight, I didn't think there was strong evidence that the Rhinos deck had actually suffered that much beyond the fact that Living End was getting more popular and that one specific matchup can be challenging. But in the weeks... I mean, there are a lot... There's a lot of decks. There's a lot of decks that do have strong matchups against uh, Rhinos. We saw Rhinos go down to like a sub-50% deck in the first like four weeks of Lord of the Rings, but that was before I think we saw the real adaptations people were making, right? I think that's totally fair. 
All right. So like we talked about, mixed bag out of the second tier, but a big amount of meta in these five decks. Rhinos is a big surprise there. Why don't we move on to the next the next thing, which is that we got to talk about Tron, right? Please. We, we've talked about we talked about Rakdos. We've talked about Rhinos, which is a surprise of the weekend. But really, when you're watching coverage, especially on Friday, it oh, felt man. like it, we were just talking about Tron the entire the entire uh, week, the entire day. It you know, was it, a lot. There's a lot of yeah. Tron. People were actually getting a little bit sick of like the Tron mirrors on coverage and things like that. But that's what happens when uh, when players who are doing well played Tron. Yeah, I mean, and the wild thing, of course, is that there were three mono deck Tron or mono green Trons in the top eight, and there wasn't it that the three people who were the at the top of the standings at the end of Friday going to day two were all on Tron, or two of the three of them were on Tron, including Simon Nielsen, who was undefeated going into day two. I mean, it was it felt like Tron. This is a new coronation of Tron coming back and being respected. Is Tron finally going to be respected? I think it'll be respected, but still not loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, not loved by its haters. You know what I mean? Name a modern deck that is loved by its haters. That's a very... I mean, I think... Yeah, good point. Is it Phoenix? I mean, at this, at this point, can you hate four-color Omnath? I guess you can. Yes. I just... Yeah, for Deeply. sure. Maybe, maybe Tron is just a fixture of modern Pro Tours... And high-level GP-like events. It, it does things that no other decks really can do, right? And especially when you add the one ring, where it can stabilize you pretty strongly and just buy you just enough time to do what you need to do. And we saw, you know, I saw many games like that on camera, right? Where it's just like, oh, they cycled into the one ring, it bought them a turn, the opponent couldn't do anything, it couldn't interact with their hand. Well, I think so, like, in contrast between Rhinos and Tron, you can sort of understand why Rhinos was a surprise because people had been writing it off in the last week or two of Modern, despite its yeah. results just like three or four weeks ago. Tron, I think there's been a story of Tron growth and improvement in the metagame. So Tron's performance here almost isn't a surprise. If anything, it's a confirmation of what a lot of people have been saying about this deck since it's gotten the One Ring. Oh, for sure. And, you know, Devin took it as one of his first round picks, you know what I mean? Because I think he believed in it. But I think one of the things that made a big difference for some of these players is the way the deck was constructed. Yeah, Team Handshake in particular, right? That's the the team that we think really brought a list that was pretty different on the margins than we usually look at a Tron list as being. And even the ones that were showing up in the challenges weren't quite doing the same things that this list were doing, right? Yeah, I mean, Team Handshake and specifically did some things that people, I think, would not think of doing without a significant amount of testing and trust in the process, right? Like, they had some really interesting counts of previously considered core cards. Like, they had three Sylvan Scrying. They had a really interesting mix of chromatic effects that I would never have the guts to do. Like, they had only five. They had four Sphere and one Star. And I think that's probably one of the coolest pieces of tech there because what's interesting about Sphere is that the card draw is attached to the mana ability, which means when you sack a Sphere, you don't get a response window. You cannot play Bowmasters in response to the draw like you can with the triggered ability of Chromatic Star. And so that was like a really smart thing in terms of the build there. I still don't know if I would be like, oh, I'm only going to run five of these. But perhaps to counteract that, 
they ran two Urza's sagas in a bunch of the lists. And I think that's maybe specifically just them saying, not specifically, but I think part of that is just like, look, Tron on three is not what I absolutely have to be doing anymore. And so like you can play the saga early if you need to, you could then get a, a map. You can get a chromatic effect later if you need to. Uh, you can have a construct game plan if you really want to. I think those are all considerations into the into the construction of the deck. They had uh, the what is that talisman? Like the the Golgari, Golgari. talisman. They to had make green. oh, was it Golgari? I thought they had the I green white was, one. Yeah. I believe so. Oh, it was, it, I thought it was Golgari. Okay. I mean, I don't think it really matters. Because, I mean, I guess it can pay for okay. your dismembers, so I feel like they would have to run the the Golgari one because, and the handshake list, I think they were running like three dismember yeah. main. And I think that was pretty clutch too because if you're expecting a lot of Rakdos and Omnath and Shieldred out there, that's a card that you can you know have in a pinch to hold against those really backbreaking cards that are going to lose you the well, game. Well, it gives you a little bit of play against, yeah, Fury, right? It's like, oh, if you bring back Fury, I can kill oh, yeah. like that. That's like, at least, exactly. at least you, you have, have an out. Because like I said, when, when, when I played online, I played against Tron three times. I'm just like, what, mull, hard mauling to Fury, Fury in the mm. opener. It's just because, it's like, who cares? Like, they can't do anything about it. They'll never catch up to this. But, you know, when you, when they might have it sometimes, you have to you have to take your foot off the gas a little bit. What's up with the talisman of resilience, right? So you were talking about it. It's I mean, does it ramp? Like, does it help you get to a turn three Karn when you don't have when you don't have Urza Tron? Like, what's is that? The, do you think that's the theory behind that? Turn three Karn, turn three Ring. Is that sort of where where we're at? I think that's certainly part of it. I think it also is a good way to make sure that your Urza Saga converts into permanent mana in a big mana deck. Mm, interesting. Okay, so it lets you it lets you be able to try to turn an Urza Saga that you play into something that you can use later. Okay. And then also put you ahead a little bit on hands where you don't even have Saga. Because it's interesting, Saga was only a two of. So the most interesting thing I think about this deck, or the last interesting thing about this deck, is that this deck, the Team Handshake list, was running the one ring as a full playset main even though they had Karn the Great Creator yeah. as, one of the, as, of course, one of the linchpins of their deck and could have searched out the wishboard for the effective seven copies. Yep. I mean, they have Phyrexia Metamorph. That's, that's, that's the replacement ring if you need it. I did sort of find that when we were doing our big mana episode, I never wanted to use Karn to grab a ring. No, no, me either. Karn like, does all these other very specific things that can generate advantage that I don't necessarily want the card advantage blind card adventures that the ring provides when Karn could be a lot more surgical for our matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you have the Phyrexian Metamorph as your break in case of emergency type thing, right? Like, okay, I'll peel this up. But then the Metamorph also has a sort of wider application where it's like I can copy my opponent's stuff that is good uh, and you know steal an opponent's one ring if you really need to or something like that or just become a cool creature. And having four main effectively gives you more of those good early plays, especially if you're not necessarily planning on always making Tron early. And you can say, okay, like if I get to four lands or on turn three, I've played the Talisman on two, turn three, I play another land. And then on turn four, I have, excuse me, turn three, I have access to four mana. I can play one of my rings that I've drawn. I can, you know, fog the opponent. I can draw some cards and see what goes, where it goes from there type thing. And I think those are the kind of play patterns that having four main gives you over playing four 
excuse me, like, yeah, you have four mana, you play the Karn, you peel up a one ring from the side, you have to untap, and, and you're maybe behind. It's just, I think that it's potentially just a smarter way to approach the building of the deck with the yeah. Metamorph. But it's awesome to see someone doing the work to really make some significant changes once again to try and to, to metagame it for the, um, for the Pro Tour. I am not sure that I would play this deck with five chromatic effects in an open field. I think that I would, you know, I think I would still want to have more of them, but I'm, you know, I think it's smart to test this as is and see how you like it and see how it performs because removing, removing current liberated would have been considered, you know, undoable a few, maybe just six yeah, months ago. Exactly. All right. Tron respect. Will, will Tron stick around? Will people finally accept that it's back as a, uh, a pillar again? What do you think? Sure. sure. Maybe maybe what it proved was that Tron's the best deck for, as we look a little deeper at results, really, maybe Tron was the best one-ring deck of the weekend. And maybe that's where it earns its respect moving forward. I think that that is very likely, actually, Stan. Hey, it's Shane again, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about the shaving soaps at Barrister and Man, you know, our longtime sponsor here at the Dive Down. And I was talking to Will. I was like, Will, tell me a little bit about why people would want to purchase the shaving soaps from Barrister and Man over like the stuff at the big box store, over you know, something you can get at like Walgreens or something like that. And he, of course, was very explanatory. And the thing that blew my mind is that his shaving soap base that he uses took two years to design. And that's a long time when it comes to something like this. And the goals that Will had were to, of course, do something that's moisturizing, something that's you know anti-allergenic. His soaps do not use lanolin, which is, you know of course, a pretty serious allergen for some people. And just to make the, the slickest the densest lather, something that would be super comfortable for people, and of course have many of his signature fragrances over at Barrister and Man. You know, versus like a canned foam or even kind of like com competitors out there, they just don't really have the same type of you know cushiony sense. They don't have the the physical protection from the blade. You know, shaving soaps from Barrister and Man yield a closer, more comfortable and less irritating shave every time. And as a longtime user of the Barrister Man shaving soaps, I can say that's really the case. I love using the shaving soaps over at Barrister and Man. I have like five, six tubs. I have like six or seven uh, sample bars and I love rotating through them. I love the different fragrances that I can pick out based on my mood. I really like La Grand Chipre. I really like Waves. I really like Mere Wood. I really like the new Adagio and Presto. There's just so many awesome selections over at Barrister and Man uh, if you shave. So I highly suggest going over to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N. Use code THEDIVEDOWN23 for 15% off your first order there. You can get tons of little you know, sample bars that'll last you a good long time. You can check all these different things out and that lets Will know that you came from us when you use our code. All right, 
next thing to think about as we go through the, the meta game here, the next 25% of the, the meta, okay, so we've talked about 60% of the decks right now. If we look at decks 6 through 11 in meta share, that's the next 25% of the meta taking us to right around 80% of the meta all in. The next six decks in this meta were not good. <laughs> All of results them wise. were not good results-wise. Here's what those decks <laughs> Lovely were. Lovely decks. We love these decks. We, 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 yeah, sure. We love these decks. Here's what they were. Demir Control was 5.9% of the meta, 45% win rate. Living End was 4.1% of the meta, 48% win rate. Burn was 4.1% of the meta, 45% win rates. Is it was three point? Is it Merktide was 3.3% of the meta. It was a 49% win rate it almost got there almost got 49. there it's, it's getting better getting five there. color getting creativity there. was 3.0 percent of the meta 48 percent win rate and jeskai breach 2.6 percent of the meta 42 percent win rate i'd say this is one of those spots where the the results that frank karsten has versus the results that anil yahi shared on twitter are slightly different like anil says that creativity was a 54 percent win rate but i cannot account for that. I couldn't find a way to reconcile those two data points. So we're going with Dr. Frank with this, and it makes it easier for my story. What's up with this 25% of the meta all being sub 50% win rate? Well, some of them aren't good decks. <laughs> I mean, Demir Control, taking Demir Control... 6% of the meta game just being you know, the people playing just like, yeah, I'm going to take this relatively untuned, untested newer deck you know to the to the pt said something like they had trust in it and i don't think that trust was necessarily borne out again this is one tournament i don't think demir control is going anywhere i mean it soon. very well might there's not really a good compelling case for it to stay around right now even though i enjoyed playing it but like i said on the episode where we tested this deck you cannot stop pros from playing counter spells and draw twos and here yeah. it is yeah you know if you look at the top five we don't really see a lot of counter spells and draw twos among those. Right. You know, Four Color Omnath, not really a counter spell deck. No. And Rhinos is playing like Force of Negation and Mystical Dispute. Like that's counter spell hard mode. Maybe counter. Yeah, subtlety counter spell hard mode. It just makes me wonder if like the counter spell decks were not great. And if we look at them, like what is this? Four out of the five decks here play counter spell, except Living In and Burn. I mean, so creativity, creativity doesn't really, right? Creativity plays remand or reprieve instead. Spell pure, yeah. stuff like I that. I mean, I, it's true, though. I mean, I that's it's interesting. Yeah, none of the decks with a bunch of counter spells did well. That's true. Even even if it's just spells, spell pure, exactly. What's what's wild here is how poorly Burn did, you know, meaning, meaning in this meta. Like, right? Like, I, I think that people would be tempted to be like, okay, Burn could be good into this particular situation. And again, it proved that even in a small field or a control field where I think people had pretty good prediction of what people were going to do, it still was a 45% deck. And I know it still will not put to bed people saying I mean, that here's, it's a good Here's deck. all I have to say about that. Burn was 78% against Rakdos. Rakdos, 70% yeah. against Green Tron. 57% against Four Caller Omnath, 67% against Golgari Yogmoth. I, I I don't want to be that person because I hear I hear what you're but saying. I hate, to, 
I hate to toot my horn. My, my, what I said last week, Dave, it's yeah, bad against it, everything I else. I agree with that. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's And they did not, the burn pilots did not run hot and get just the top end of the meta as their matchups somehow. And it's, you know, it's not good against rhinos, right? I'm looking at Fr- Dr. Franks. Yeah, it went 05 against rhinos, for example. Yes, it's statistically it's not strong. Even though whenever I play burn, I feel like it's extremely yeah. close. So, so maybe I, the four mystical dispute help there. To be honest, you know, it is what it is. But I, I mean, the thing that also blew my mind about this is that when I was looking at this list, and we'll talk about this later, eight of the top eleven decks. Like if we put Yogmoth and Omnath into our discussion, eight of the top eleven decks, decks had sub fifty percent win rates. Eight of the top 11 meta decks. Ooh. The only ones that had, had plus 50% win rate were Rhinos, Tron, and Rakdos out of the top 11 decks. Wow. That's wild. I mean, I will say that the top 10, especially, is this is all like what I think Wizards wants Modern to be. They want it to be like 45 to 55% format. And we got there. We we saw another modern tournament happen, right? Where it's like, even even the the lowest deck of the top ten is still just forty five, which is you know you could you could you could have a few things go different ways. And it's like a forty eight percent deck, and we're like not even looking at it. Yeah, two yeah, sideways. Exactly. I will like say, I, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's anything that I would take away from this necessarily big picture, like. You said three of these decks were very close to being 50%. Creativity, Murktide, and Living End. The other ones, they catch some matchups, maybe they get over it. I don't think that, that means that you have to stop playing these decks, but it's fascinating to see just how pol- how polarized mm. the meta was. Well, you, you, Which ones would you stop playing other than Burn? I mean, I, I wouldn't play Demir Control, but if you like sure. playing that deck, yeah, go for I, it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I also said I, there's no reason for it to stay around necessarily. We'll see if it does. But It's yeah. a tunable deck. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's probably better in an open field. Honestly, I the, the biggest surprise out of this list for me was Breach. Was how bad Breach was. I thought Breach was positioned to be a little bit of a dark horse in this meta, and I could not have been more wrong. I heard one of the podcasts. I think it was actually Dom Harvey specifically who pointed out that when Breach does well, it's in the hands of these like super experienced Breach pilots that we know and hear about constantly. And they're if, if we look at the data since Lord of the Rings. I think like since Corey, no one's done especially well with the deck. Mm-hmm. I'm probably overlooking something, but I just don't feel like Breach has been part of the conversation really as something that's like clearly been pushing against the forces of Sauron and Gandalf. Mm-hmm. The combined forces of Sauron and Gandalf, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> enemy of my enemy, you know? Dave, let's get into this next bullet point yep. you have because this is this is my favorite stuff. Making making big conclusions out of small That's sample right. size. Are you ready for small sample size theater brought to you by your friends at the dive down? Because the other nineteen point seven percent of the meta, nineteen point seven, so around twenty percent, had some fun surprises. This is the other bucket for the most part. Mm-hmm. So like that's like sub two point five percent, I believe. Frank had that's that. That's right. In. That's right. Almost twenty percent for other. That's not bad. That's not bad, but it it's less good when the number one deck is so close to being the same, though. You know, so you're less good. Yeah. When the number one deck is something, something. All right. Who wants to pick a deck from this list that they want to talk about? There's, there's a bunch of different decks that we can go through rapid fire and talk about the interesting results that they had here. Merfolk. Shane, you're going to talk about Merfolk. Okay, go for it. No, I mean, I just, it's the most, it's the most interesting thing, right? There was, there was one player who brought Merfolk and went eight and two. Yep. 
So there you go. I mean, that's really good. It, yes, eight and two in constructed for an eighty percent win rate with Merfolk. However, poor Daniel Kristoff went five and one in draft. Mm, you mean oh, one sorry, and five? one and five. Yeah, no, five and one in draft would have been amazing. Yeah, sorry, Daniel, you went one and five yes. in draft. I'm I'm very sorry to hear that because it would have been great to see Merfolk in the top eight. To be honest, yeah, for sure. Stan, anything on this list stand out to you as something you were interested in? So there was this Gristlebrand Gorio's Vengeance deck with Atraxa and Shadow Prophecy that actually made it into the top 32. Yeah, 14th place for Marco Vassilo. 70% win rate. It had a lot of weird things going on in it. <laughs> Gorio's Vengeance, it was it had Ephemerate and Grief. It had Orcish Bowmasters, and like Stan said, it had Grizzlebrand. It had... Uh, Shadow Prophecy, it had Leyline Binding. It was a pretty cool list. I mean, given that it had a 70% win rate in a Pro Tour and is a deck that like people haven't really explored that much, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised to see people trying this out. Right. So it was like this weird pseudo scam deck too, because it had four grief and two solitude. Right. And and a playset of Ephemerate as mm-hmm. well. Yep. I mean Ephemerate plus your Bowmaster, you know, that's not bad either. People are saying. People are saying. Uh, I think what was most interesting to me was that Hammer had a 60% win rate. I heard that one of the players was DQ'd, so I'm not sure if their numbers are, are in this this number that Stan, that uh, Frank Karsten has. But a composite across both Azorius Hammer and Mono White Hammer, there were five pilots. There were 60% win rates, and uh, that's pretty wild. Like It really makes me wonder if people wrote hammer off too fast given what's happened with Karn and all of the the fact that it's just kind of lost prevalence in the metagame. I mean, it had a higher win rate across these five pilots than any of the decks in the top 11 did. Hmm. And another deck that we saw do well was Amulet Titan. Mm-hmm. Only four players brought it, but it had what, like a 57% win it rate. Did. And we saw Dom Harvey make it into the top eight. Congratulations, Dom, by the way. Top four, Did Dom make even. this yeah, top semis, yeah, right? Very close to the finals, is my understanding. Well, yeah, he, he lost a, a, I think it was a game, game five. five. Yeah. Maybe it was a game four Yeah, um, in the semis. Yeah. Friend of the show, Dom Harvey, almost almost getting there. It would have been, it would have been awesome to see. Um, not, never been a fan of Titan all that much, but, you know, Titan, 57%, four players. I thought, wasn't there like a couple weeks where we refer to you as our Titan guy? I tried. I tried. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I will do this for the podcast. I will try to be the Titan person. And then I was like, nope, hmm. nope, 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 nope. Nope my way out of that. And then finally, the last couple of decks that stood out to me when rate rise here were Mill. Two players that had brought Mill had a 59% win rate. And then one player that brought Thopter Sword had a 60% win rate. 62% win rate nice. as well. So look, a large part of the broad meta had middling results, but there's a lot of interesting stuff here to look at if you're thinking about like what rogue deck do I want to try? What deck that used to be good that I want to try? Hammer, maybe it's worth it. But um, I don't know. Pretty interesting stuff here from the the other category of the meta. However, bottom line, as we close out the meta discussion here, the last headline I would point out to you all is that only 10 decks... 10 deck archetypes registered had a win rate of greater than 50%. Meaning of all decks. Of all decks, only 10 archetypes had a a win rate of greater than 50%. Doesn't that kind of make mathematical sense, though? I mean, it depends, right? I mean, like, there's like, what, like, probably 25 
different total archetypes that people I have 36. Holy moly. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it that way and like 10 of those, and it's not particularly top heavy, which is wild. Like, right, like a lot of these well, like well-performing decks, there's four, two, two, four, two, one, one. And then the only like good decks, like we talked about good decks, meaning highly represented decks, we have Rhinos, Tron, and Evoke. Or scam, excuse me. I don't want to curse on an episode by saying evoke. Yeah. I mean, I'm calling it evoke, but yes. So the way the distribution is, is that 10 decks had greater than 50%. Eight decks had exactly a 50% win rate. Mm. And 18 decks had a sub 50% win rate. I, I don't know what this means, but it was just something that stood out to me. And I do think it's kind of consistent with other pro tours, but I just wanted to like bottom line everything on the way out of us talking about the meta is like the, the decks that won were kind of concentrated in a certain space and um, decks that did mediocre were in a similarly sized space. And then there was kind of a large group of decks that did not do well. Shane, do you ever feel like when Dave says, I don't know what that means, it's some big, I'm just asking questions, energy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the next I, headline. I, I'm, I'm asking big questions there. Oh, yeah. What's, what's, what's our next headline, um, We So one thing that was interesting was that uh, I was looking at the meta according to the number of cards that were played, the popular cards that were played. And if you didn't hear this, you know, Orc, one, the One Ring and Orcish Bowmasters were the most played cards by far right so the one ring 450 copies were registered orcish bowmasters 413 copies were registered uh, but it's possible that they weren't the best cards especially like what stan was talking about earlier when he said maybe it turns out the mono green tron is the best one ring deck when the other one ring decks were all below 50 percent win rates you know this list of cards that starts with the one ring orcish bowmasters and then goes fury chalice of the void thought seize force of negation endurance subtlety ragavan grief leyline binding lightning bolt and Lorian revealed. Lorian revealed somehow sneaks into that. The you know Wizards of the Coast gave us twenty of the top registered cards. We took out the lands, so these are the thirteen top played non-land cards. Nine of these thirteen cards are from either a Modern Horizon set or Lord of the Rings. Huh. Four of the Modern Horizons two elementals are on this list. The one that is missing somehow is Solitude. Believe it or not. And then wow. the cards that weren't from either of these supplemental sets are Lightning Bolt, Chalice, Leyline Binding, and Thoughtseize. And what is Leyline Binding is only one of those that has their first printing in like what the last ten years? Well, no, I'm. You mean the cards? You mean cards that aren't in a supplemental set? Yeah. Yes, correct. exactly. So like of those four, only Leyline Binding is like recent at correct. all. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, what we think that this number means is that around 42% of all the decks in total were one, running the one ring. I think that Devin worked Ooh. on this math on stream on, on Friday, and this is kind of the number that he came to. Uh, how do you feel about any of this stuff? I So there's like a bigger conversation that could be had here. And I mean, we had it in our Discord a little bit today by people just being like, yeah, like, you know, the, the Modern Horizon sets have are what modern is all about right now. And I think you could put a positive or negative value on that. I think it's just sort of like, that's what Watsi set out to do, right? Which is like, we're going to print good cards directly into modern and people will buy them. Dave, you hinted at something that I, I don't think you defended adequately, which was maybe One Ring and Bowmaster aren't that great well i'm not saying that We're, we will get to that in a second i just just okay. to be clear but i think i'm more want to dwell on this kind of like 
you know, I do think it's hard to look at this single card prevalence thing and understand what to think about anymore. You know, bottom line, I still enjoy playing modern when I play modern, but I understand people's yeah. people's uh, fatigue with, in particular, the thing that surprised me was the evoke elementals being f- four of the thirteen top cards here. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be yeah. too surprised by that, but I mean, I think the real surprises here for me. I, I am surprised to see the One Ring as the most popular deck in the entire metagame, especially because it's hard. You know, yeah. Scam doesn't run it. Rhinos doesn't run right. it. Yogmoth doesn't always run it. So it's you know it's made up. I think a lot of the the middling and slightly underrepresented compared to the top decks like control strategies, mostly Green Tron things like that. You know, we know Bowmasters Bo has a slightly wider appeal in in some of the decks that can be run in but not a tremendous amount over the one ring i wouldn't be surprised at all like for our next modern tournament for this list to be not drastically different but surprisingly different like i do i I doubt we see another tournament where one ring and bowmasters are number one and number two on the most popular card well here here's part of the reason that i wonder about that a little bit too is that what stan was just pressing me on a little bit okay when I was looking at this, these notes yesterday, or the the uh, play the play prevalence of these cards yesterday, I was kind of like, "Well, what decks are these in?" And it looked to me that of you know, I, I said a moment ago that only ten decks were above fifty percent win rate in the meta. Of those decks, only two of them play Bowmaster. One was Rakdos, and one the other one was that five color reanimator list that had a seventy percent win rate. Those are the only yeah. two that were playing Bowmaster. And then of the decks that were above 50% in win rates that play the one ring, there are only three decks. One is Tron, one is Titan, and one is the Urza Thopter Sword deck, of which there was only a single copy. So if we do some kind of back of the napkin math, I was starting to say some things about that. But fortunately, again, Anil Yahi on Twitter actually calculated win rate with individual cards. And turns out the cards that had the highest win rate were not Bowmasters and the One Ring. I don't think we should be surprised by that. In fact, the One Ring on the list that an Anil had together of these cards was one of the lowest cards with associated win rate on the list of 49%. Hmm. Now, this range that Anil has shared shared on Twitter is extremely tight. It goes from like 48.69 for Thoughtseize up to 51.7%. So it's a tiny like 2% of... So this is another metric that it's sort of like data I think is interesting, but I don't know exactly what to make of it. But the cards that had the highest win rates associated with them were not Bowmasters and the One Ring. It was Fury, Boseju, and Grief. Boseju. Boseju is a good card. Yeah. We, we knew Grief this. was the highest one, by the way, on that list. 51.7% win rate of a card. That seems interesting to me. I wonder what else. I, mean, I guess Grief is in Living End. So that might have brought that win rate down from like the 54 that Rakdos was in. And maybe it's in some other kind of more rogue strategies, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, this it's hard to know exactly what to do with this data. Because like you said, it's really tightly packed together but i think what we it does show is that of the popular cards the one ring was not what was breaking the metagame and the win weight win rates wide open here it's so hard to say like i don't even know if i'm comfortable coming to quite that conclusion shane it's like 
At, I'm just you know, asking the questions. It, yeah, I'm just I'm just throwing the stats. Out. I'm just taking an aisle's work and putting it on the podcast. Although I was already thinking about it similarly, I just didn't actually do the math. But like, it's weird. I mean, this is a deck. Like we said, a lot of there was really only one largely successful deck that had one ring and one largely successful deck that had Bowmasters. Now they were two of the best decks and most prevalent decks in the tournament, but there was only one. There were you know they were only in one of each. So. I mean, it's interesting to me that two years after Horizons came out, we are to the point now where ephemerating grief is what people feared. Yes. I think about that frequently, yeah. Yes. They were not It wrong. is the powerhouse of the metagame. It is what everyone hates. I kind of also think that um, this is not a fully formed thought, but grief and Bowmaster are the best black cards printed into modern since fatal push and there hasn't been a lot of like good stuff to do in black in the format for quite a long time in my opinion so i wonder if anytime a deck running swamps and black mana is going to do well it's going to always have those two cards because death shadow isn't it yeah tough to say although grixis shadow was a 50 percent deck for what it's worth so it wasn't terrible it wasn't terrible. <laughs> How many pilots? Like it looks one, like two, one. One? It might be two. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's the end of the meta discussion and the card discussion. All that we have left to do at this point is talk about results. The, the final results. And mm. okay. Stan, I don't know. You you kind of looked at the top thirty two. Do you want to talk about the top thirty two and kind of what it was composed of? Well, sure. I'll I'll skim through this fairly quickly because there's some interesting highlights there were two most popular decks in the top 32 specifically six each rhinos and tron Mm -hmm. i think rhinos being like so far and away popular and and successful is just a nice reminder that like a very consistent linear strategy with free interaction backup is is good and modern and, and has now proven over the years that you can continue to tweak it in like a variety of ways to make it actually resilient, whatever is happening in the format. Yeah. And I think that depending on how you count things, Rhinos was actually yeah. the most decks in the top 32 because there were two four color Rhino decks as well. So I know that they're different. They play different, whatever. Get at me. You two, yeah, I they're guess. the same. Yeah, yeah actually, I think they're, they're basically the same. More similar than they are different. So, it, but that was twenty five percent of the of the top thirty two meta was rhinos. There you go. Sweet. And I mean, it only started at what eleven percent, sub eleven. So it it's it performed really well in terms of top thirty two placements. Again, I'm sure people are shouting at their podcast listening devices, like you know, of course there was there was limited involved here, and we understand that. But it, you know, ever, there was limited involved for all these players, so we do have to you know, do take it all into consideration. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about the top three or two is that the other category is like not small. You know, we have a ton of one ofs, including Living End, Merktide, Yogmoth, Omnath, Four Color Control, Reanimator, and Titan. And then we have a couple two ofs between Demir Control and Four Color Rhinos. Also, Five Color Creativity, which is a deck that we talked about, had a sub 50% win rate put four copies in the top 32 as well. Yeah, that blew my mind that somehow a, that that happened. And I'd love to, We we we. I didn't dive into those particular people's decks all that closely. I wonder if there's something different that they were doing or or not. But um, yeah, I mean, they were very close to pulling that deck up to above 50%. And that would have been a huge surprise in the meta. And by the way, I am right now looking at Tim Mihail Kapar's deck and Sean Goddard's deck, and I don't see anything particularly off 
stock for those decks right now. Let me see. Yeah, there's not, I don't, I mean, these are pretty much just creativity decks as you would expect them to be. So maybe it wasn't the, uh, you know, wasn't the kind of dog that people thought it was going into a, a ring meta, quite a ring meta, given that some people managed to take it all the way to the top 32. Yeah. And, and likewise, the top 32 had, you know, a handful of players that I think people will recognize. Gabe Nassif finished in 13th with Living End. Yeah, this was interesting. Like, Gabe ran four Oliphants and two Generous Ent. And I think I've seen recently more Ents than Oliphants. I think primarily because it can get through Blood Moons pretty straightforwardly. You know, you cycle the Ent for the forest. You can cast, you know, your, your spells as needed. But Oliphant does beat down a little bit better, you know, giving trample to other creatures and having trample itself really strong. So uh, I'm sure Gab tested quite a bit to come to that conclusion. Maybe this wasn't quite as in fear of living end. I mean, excuse me, of uh, blood moon. Like, you know, I can play around blood moon and then win. And, and you, we saw him do that in kind of the battle of the Titans versus Kai Bude, where he was just like, you know, Kai kept a hand with blood moon when he was playing rhinos and Gab just predicted it. He was like, look, if I just play around this, I'm not going to lose to it. So might as well. I mean, we had Greg Orange on four color control. It's really Omnath, honestly. I mean, it's got it's got four counter spells in there and two force negation. I mean, maybe you could argue a little bit, but it's 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 mostly the Omnath deck with just counter spells instead of some of the, some of the other um, additional elementals. A and very stuff like Greg that. Orange deck. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I lo- I love seeing Greg do well. Um, you know often often very close to top eights and uh, has a couple of wins of course too yeah also alexander hayne came in ninth place yeah Oof. i know this top eight could not have been more stacked honestly yeah. unless unless alexander hayne had made it in over somebody yeah hayne had kind of a, a pretty brutal draw i think last round you know but they just went to time and and there was no concede. There's no conceding that was going to happen at that point. So they just uh, they just you know had to go their separate ways. Yeah, but look at this top eight. Moving on to the final kind of final headline that we had here, which is like Javier Dominguez, Christian Calcano, Simon Nielsen, you know, Jake Beardsley won, not a not a uh, a uh, Hall of Famer yet, perhaps. And then Kai Bude and Dom Harvey are the players that I recognize at least. That's five incredible players in this top eight along with obviously a number of three other people who did very very well yeah it was definitely a a, i think a very good spectator event like i watched a lot of it like i was saying early on and just being able to see you know people like you know the calculator and kai versus uh you know gab in you know rounds you're seeing dom do well with amulet titan like you know someone who's known in the community has done so much for titan players by like releasing like his like 60 page tome about the deck being able to see kai make another top eight like in his uh technically four decades right like so 90s 90s aughts 10s and 20s Do you ever think, I mean, I never thought when I was, you know, when I first heard of Kai Bude, for example, that I, that we would still be talking about magic f- across the span of four decades. <laughs> you can't quit. Can't, can't quit. quit. You never quit. You come back every time. Ugh, I'm so glad they didn't have podcasts in the nineties. It would be. <laughs> they were called shock jocks at the time. It would be a bad, a bad thing for me. Yeah. It was, it was a stack topic. For yeah. Sure. I mean, but this was a great event. Like this was an amazing event to watch. 
Um, it was yep. awesome to see Modern on the big stage again. I was really, um, I you know, I didn't like I said, I didn't get to watch all of it, but watching it on Friday with people in the Discord, and I was in the chat in in Devin's channel as well, even though you guys wouldn't acknowledge that I was there. Um, I was there participating and listening to the coverage and everything. It was awesome. It was great. I think some mod must have muted you or something like that. No, but like it was a, it was a great event overall, and I think we didn't maybe give that enough preface up front. But I think the the Watsi Pro Tour coverage now is super strong. There's like a tape delay, so that there's like no downtime. It's the best part at all. That. There's yeah. There's no like 20 minutes of like the same song on loop, like you know we would get with like all the GPS and stuff like that. There's just constant coverage, constant gameplay. The coverage team super expert. They all know what they're doing. They're all consummate professionals and entertaining. And I really enjoyed uh, participating. You, you just by watching and it makes me look forward to subsequent pro tours like i'm you know am i gonna love a standard one probably not but will i watch it yeah for sure some of it don't you feel like given that fifteen thousand people watch this on friday during the day and i don't even know what the viewership numbers were like on the other days that they gotta be thinking about bringing modern back at some point i mean i know that it's hard for them i mean modern is a weird format for wizards because they they want to be able to make money off of it. It's one of the most popular format. I mean, there are many metrics that say that modern is the most popular format in Magic. Um, I don't know. I got to think that they're going to come back to it next, maybe as soon as next year. I mean, if they do a Horizons 3, which is almost guaranteed, True. then we'll certainly have a Horizons Pro right. Tour. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the show, for that part of the show. Oh, okay, I was like, oh, there's so much more to talk about. I mean, about I, I do think that we have a couple of minutes here, maybe before we need to shut this down. Do, you, do we want to talk about what's next for Modern? Like, what do we think? What's the biggest thing that you think is... I mean, we've got a ban coming up supposedly in seven seven days, basically. I, I, okay. I mean, is that how we want to close the show? Like, what's next? So, yeah, I mean, where Modern goes next, right? Like, I, I think... Well, how do you feel about modern after this? Oh, I oh, I First. think modern, I think modern's I think modern's very good. Like here's the thing, like I said last week and I will say after this week is I don't think modern is stabilized yet. Like I think when you come out of something like this event and there's there's a couple things. Like I think people will test some of the innovations that people brought into the decks of the Pro Tour. They'll see if they were maybe Pro Tour specific or they were good against the wider metagame. I think people will likely increase their play of scam if that was possible. I think people will have to figure out maybe better game plans against scam if possible or decks that are stronger against the, the new top of the field. And I think there are options there, right? I, th I think the, the biggest challenge right now for people is potentially, and I don't want to say get over like the expectations that like every deck is going to be like exactly 50% win rate or something like that. I don't think people actually want that, but I think that's what happens. When, like you see the results where it's like, oh, these decks did really well and we saw a high prevalence of them in the metagame and in the top 32, we need to change something. But then you look at the data and you're like, look, all these decks still did like what we expect in magic, like, you know, 45 to 55% as I am. I frequently harp on is like, I think the sign of a healthy format, if you can have a huge number of decks that like don't drastically go outside of, of that, especially on the winning end. Like if you don't have a, if you have a, if your best deck is 54 or 55%, like that's a very good place to be. And I think that we've seen people respond 
to these types of of events and these types of wins and things like that, and then make adaptations and the metagame cycles up and down a few percentage points. That's what I want out of a format. First of all, Shane, that was beautifully said. I totally agree with everything you said there. And Oh, thank you, Stan. If anything, I, I would want to just like add more color to that I, overall idea. When we see R&D action, let's say, about decks within that 45 to 55% range, it tends to be because of gameplay qualities and not necessarily because they're doing something excessively broken. I believe Yorion's an example of this. Like, I don't think Yorion ever, the Yorion decks ever exceeded 55%. I think they were just a real drag yeah. for paper play. And, but and online play even. Sure. And when we see certain decks do well on camera at events and the deck have like a really strong event in general, I think... With modern in particular, what we're seeing on display is like the things that make these decks good and the things that make modern like a really fast, explosive, razor's edge format. And in addition to just like modern kind of being in this healthy space in terms of like the best decks aren't so obscenely so obscenely powerful, people just need to accept that like modern has powerful cards, crazy synergies, stuff happens for like little to one mana and that is the nature of the format that we exist in and that you sort of have to operate in and have had to operate in since Modern Horizons 1, more or less. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the grumpiness, and I don't I don't think this is ubiquitous by any means, I think a lot of the sort of negative feelings people have about Modern right now are really tied to Scam. And I think that's primarily because Scam is a, a deck that takes away what you want to do. And Modern is definitely a format where it's like, I want to do what I want to do because modern allows me to do that. Like you said, Stan is like, it lets me play these hyper efficient spells and creatures. It lets me enact my game plan in like two, like three to four turns frequently. And what scam does is it throws a wrench into those works. And it says, you're not going to do what you want to do. I'm going to potentially clock you with a double striking four, four, and I'm going to clear your board or I'm going to clear your hand or I'm going to cast your cards with Dothy Voidwalker. And honestly, they're just having more fun than a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I that's why I like playing it. And and ultimately it's a game. And I, I get I think about that a lot, right? And like ultimately we're playing a game to have fun, hopefully. <laughs> and and scam is like you you're not having as much fun as me. And that polarizes things. And people are like, oh, but we, can't we just have fun together? And, and then one of us wins? Yeah, but look, listen, I feel the same, that way about Tron and have always felt that way about Tron. Like, I, I hate that play experience where it's like, oh my God, they have so much more mana than I do. And they cast these cards that are so much bigger. These like totally like just cards that I hate seeing, you know? Isn't it great? Yeah, it's terrible. And so like- <laughs> No, I was serious. Yeah, I though. know. And so am I. So am I. But like, so I get people being upset about having a a, a, a deck that basically him to Turox them on turn one. And like, it is, it is what it is. Um, but um, I, the, like you said, I think the win rates kind of indicate that I, I don't know if there's going to be any action here. Here's, here's my hope for what it's worth, or I guess what I think about here is like, I'm, I'm not going to speculate about what these things are. Let's unban some cards. Wizards, Ooh. 
You want to shake no, up this format? Come on. I'm not saying what it is. We I'm don't s- need ratings, Dave. We don't have to say this crazy stuff for good ratings. Unban these cards. Unban some cards. I'm not going to say specific cards, but I do think that that's what I would rather see happen on the 7th than have them go, oh, we got to ban grief or something like that. I want to see nothing, personally. I'll just say that. I don't yeah. want to see anything. Let like, the shit okay. go. The, the new set just came out. Before this came out, the format... I don't think was stale, which is kind of crazy to think because it had like relatively minimal changes since MH2 came out. What is it? Three years ago now? Two. two. Yeah. 21. Oh, 21. Yeah. Um, regardless, like we saw this constant cycle and constant ebb and flow bands impacted that somewhat. Of course, the occasional new standard card, Ledger Shredder, Laneline Binding, Fable the Mirror Breaker impacted that too. And things just kind of kept moving in like a, a really steady pace. Bands were always a breath of fresh air. Some of these new cards like would elevate decks as well or, you know, give people reason to play Merktide, I guess. I'm okay with like us taking another like year to figure out what's really good or what's really bad about yeah about lord of the rings and i don't think we've had enough data to suggest that something like needs to go unless we have like insurmountable feel bads and these like insurmountable scammy feel bads i think really only come out of the scam turns we saw that a little bit on camera too like sometimes if you have like the double grief on turn one like it it can look and feel like the game is over then but that doesn't happen every game you can still sometimes weasel out of it. I'm pretty sure we saw that on, on camera too. Oh yeah. Multiple times. And, and, you know, Dom lost his semifinals match to scam, but I heard that he was undefeated against scam until the top eight. So, you know, like this deck is good because decks in modern are good, but that doesn't mean yeah. that the deck is too good. And even if something feels bad, like getting force negation feels bad as well. For sure. I have I want to ask you a question, though. Ultimately, does does this pro does this pro tour mean anything for casual spikes? Does this mean a lot for players of the LGS? Does this mean a lot for players playing in modern leagues, things like that? You know, does anything change here, really? And I don't think it does that much. I think you're going to see people trying the pro tour lists a lot, particularly the ones that have innovations in them, like the handshake mono green list i think you're gonna see people sure. more people coming back with with rhinos once they realize that it was really probably the highest win rate depending on how you count these decks of the the broader meta you know the biggest part of the meta so i think it's going to change some stuff it's going to change what people think about some of these decks and it might continue to change the meta game because maybe we'll continue to have leagues where it's just people playing scamtron and rhinos and then we're going to pick something that beats yeah. them to play in the queues instead but i just feel like you know let's talk about like let's the friendly leagues and you're like fnm event or your tuesday night monitor or something like that right like i feel like the wider meta where we saw like hammer still do perfectly fine. We saw Merfolk do just fine. We saw a lot of like these one and two ofs and things like that be some of the decks that were plus 50%. Right. And, and that is to me what casual spike modern is really about is like, you know, is play the decks you like, you know, that you're going to be within, you're going to have a, a, a chance against almost anything because like you said, Stan is like the decks are good. The cards are good. 
you can run well, you can play well, you can be your deck expert, you can be your end boss at the at the FNM. I think we might see some of those same like small sample size, good results decks see some innovation in the online metagame as well, which will eventually trickle down to the paper players. But if Reanimator or or Merfolk are like the secret decks to beat right now, then maybe we'll see them start to pop up in online results too, to some extent. And if Tron is actually like the thing that should or will start to see more play, like that could contribute to churn too. Like I think if if we're seeing a lot of Tron, we might actually then see an uptick in Marktide as well and some of the decks that can beat up on Tron. Yeah, for sure. Like if if people are suddenly like, okay, we need to, I'm going to actually respect Tron. I'm going to play it a lot more than I used to or something like that in a league. Then yeah, like you said, it's it, it's it's one of the things where this is why I like modern. This is why I like magic is that it's it, it's you can respond to it and you can change things just by playing different decks or playing different cards within those decks. Any thoughts, Dave? You want to get out of here? I mean, I think you guys have hit hit where we're at. I think the only thing that I would add on to this is that if you have not seen the clip of Elijah Wood playing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins <laughs> by Leonard Nimoy at the po- after party. I recommend seeing it because somehow he was DJing there. <laughs> Wild, my favorite story. That, that's of the what weekend. we live in. Yeah, God. they got actual Frodo to play a Leonard Nimoy song. Maybe we can get Frodo on the pod if he's doing just random Barcelona DJ gigs. I mean, we have to pay at least as much as one of those, right? Well, y'all, I think that wraps up this week's show. And Stan, I know that you can't talk too loudly because of your housing environment. So I'm going to take us out of here. If, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the pod so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a rating and review there. We'll read it on the episode. If you want to ask us a question, reach out to us. You can X us at the dive down, all one word. At, at formerly Twitter. I don't know. Uh, you can email the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, please head on over to Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down, or you can check out the store to buy some stuff at the dive slash store. Shout out to all of our awesome sponsors. We've got mana traders. Uh, you can get 10% off your first two months there by using code the dive down 2023. If you want to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and play mats using the equipment system from heavyplay.com. You can use code the dive down 2023 for 10% off your first order. You can get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using the dive down 23 for 15% off your first order there. And of course, our friends at Nerd Rage Gaming give the dive down listeners 8% off their order with the code dive eight. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music and then until next week, get out there and have more modern protors.